0: The reading this morning, um, for those of you, if you want to get your Bibles out, um, is taken from Genesis. It's chapter 32, verses 1 to 32. Jacob prepares to meet Esau. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I might find favour in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, The group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, "'O God, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, "'Go back to your country and relatives, "'and I will make you prosper. "'I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness "'you have shown your servant.'" I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan but now I have become two camps Save me, I pray from the hand of my brother Esau for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children But you have said I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted He spent the night there And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third and all the others who followed the herds, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tender. Thanks, James.
1: Good morning to you all. It's very good to see you all. Let's uh, pray as we come to God's word. Lord God, we thank you for the way you dealt with Jacob in the story we've just heard read. He dealt with him in the way he needed to be dealt with, and we pray this morning that you will deal with each one of us in the way we need to be dealt with. So, Lord, uh, make our hearts ready to receive from you and be changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Ken Costa, in his um, book, God at Work, some of you may have read that, um, says this of his um, uh, conversion to Christ. He said, many people accept just enough of Christianity to be miserable. I was in that camp. The struggle encapsulated itself in a vivid image of control, drawn from the very marketplace where I would spend the next 30 years. It was as if my life had shares, and God wanted 100% control of it. A divine tug of war ensued. Why would God want want all of me? Could there be a joint venture? Could I carve out a special deal to suit me? What about a partnership? Was 50-50 not a good arrangement? But it became clear that true freedom was to be found in full surrender to the love of God. It did not come to me easily, nor at once. I got there in stages. I recall praying that God would take 51% of my life, control but not whole ownership. I remember the churning and the heated deliberation within myself as this plan did not seem to achieve the desired objective. I saw then, and recognize now more fully, the arrogance of negotiating with God, and the foolishness in believing I had anything to offer God, I recall praying, Lord, have all of me, only don't abandon me. In that moment, I realized that a God who loved the entire world also loved me and would stay faithful to me, even when I was not faithful to him, as has sadly often been the case. Well, I think humankind's biggest problem is the desire to be in control. It starts uh, as a toddler, when we can't get uh, what we want, so we just cry. Carries on through life when we hit the uh, the teenage years and uh, we rebel against the authority of our parents um, because we want to be in control of our lives. We don't want to be told what we should and shouldn't do. Carries on into adulthood with marriages breaking up over one partner wanting to control the other either physically or emotionally, psychologically. We see it in the workplace as people contend for power and influence. And we see it in politics, which only ever seems to be about power and control. Whether it's the control over one's party or the control over the country. Brexit is described as wresting back control from Brussels. Well, another word for that desire for control is sin. Sin is the desire to be in control of one's life and the rejection of God being in control. That's what happened to the fall when Adam and Eve were given the whole of creation to enjoy under God's loving rule. They decided it wasn't enough because they wanted to be in control themselves. Well, for the past four weeks, we've been looking at the character of Jacob in the book of Genesis and learning a lot about God. In the process, Jacob's big problem was that of control. Ever since he came out of the womb grasping his brother's heel, he wanted to be in control. When his brother came in famished from hunting one day, he saw his chance to control the situation and get his brother's birthright for himself. When his father was elderly and blind, he exploited the situation to deceive him and get his brother's blessing. When he went off to Haran in search of a, of a wife, I remember Haran was um, right up the north fair, 500 miles from home, he fell in love with Rachel and offered um, uh, her father, his, his uncle, seven years of labor in return for her hand in marriage. He thought he was in control of that situation. What he didn't realize was that his uncle was also a bit of a, a control freak and he tricked Jacob by uh, giving him his eldest daughter Leah instead of Rachel. He got another seven years of work out of Jacob in return for giving him Rachel as well. When Rachel couldn't bear children. She and Jacob fell out of control of the situation and therefore came up with a plan whereby Jacob would sleep with her servant girl who would become a surrogate mother for her. And when God finally gave Rachel her own son, Jacob decided it was time to go back to his homeland. But his father-in-law Laban didn't want him to go, and so there was another battle of control in which Jacob agreed to stay and carry on working, but where he would get to keep some of the flock. And it turned out that God was on his side, and despite Laban's schemes, God blessed him with many flocks and sheep, which made Laban and his sons angry. And it was at that point that God told Jacob to return to his homeland. Despite God's promise of protection, uh, Jacob didn't trust him, and out of fear of Laban, fled without telling him. Laban chased after him, but uh, he was intent on doing him harm, but was restrained by God. And they ended up making their peace before going their separate ways. And the amazing thing about all of these stories was that even when Jacob carried on his own way, trying to keep control of the situation, God continued to be gracious to him. In his first night alone, God gave Jacob a dream of a stairway to heaven, which pointed at Jesus opening that way to heaven without us having to try and do anything ourselves. It's a gift, he was saying. And God gave Jacob a promise at that time. It was this promise we read about a few weeks ago. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. As we saw last week, that promise um, to Jacob that God was with him is a promise to us today. God is with us as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. But it's a promise we all need to be constantly reminded of, isn't it? Because uh, there will be times when we all feel anxious, when we feel worried and lonely. And the problem is a lot of the time we don't also, feel we need God to be with us. We feel we can cope with this ourselves. We can do this in our own strength. Well, God still had some work to do in Jacob, and I hope you will see this morning, as Jacob did, that it's not until we surrender full control of our lives to God that He will fully bless us and we will experience those blessings to the full. Well, the first test we see for Jacob in this passage is the one um, which is often the same for us. Do we trust more in our own plans than seeking God's help in prayer? As we pick up the story in our chapter 32, Jacob has sorted things out with Laban. But his biggest threat is still ahead of him, his brother. When he left home 20 years ago, Esau was threatening to kill him. How would Jacob know if anything had changed? So what's the first thing he expects him to do? What would be the first thing we would do if we're facing a, a, an unknown, scary situation? Wouldn't it be to pray? To seek God's help? His protection? His wisdom? His reassurance? Well, the first thing Jacob does is come up with his own plan. In verse three, we read that he sent messengers ahead of him to Esau with this message. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find find favor in your eyes. It's basically a peace offering, isn't it? Um, I've got lots of wealth which I'm willing to share. I'm keen to find favor in your eyes. That's certainly a big improvement from how Jacob was when he when he left. So off go the messengers, and they come back with this report in verse six. We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And four hundred men are with him. Not only is there silence in terms of Esau's response to his offer of peace, he's coming with four hundred men. In Jacob's view, that can only mean one thing war maybe now will be a good time to get on his knees and pray but no he comes up with another plan look at verse 7 in great fear and distress Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and the herds and camels as well he thought if Esau comes and attacks one group the group that is left may escape he's saying he doesn't look good but, if he divides up his camp, then at least one of those groups may escape. Then finally, verse 9, Jacob prayed. But so actually, it's a good prayer. It starts by appealing to God's promise, his faithfulness. He says, "Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord. That is the covenant name for God. You, Who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. He's appealing to his promise. But then he confesses his own unworthiness and God's kindness. He says, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. He's saying I didn't deserve to be treated with the kindness that you have shown towards me. I started with nothing and now I have loads of wealth and that is all down to you. I acknowledge that. And then comes his request and we shouldn't forget that to make requests of God is a good thing because it shows we acknowledge our dependence on him. We aren't trying to do things in our own strength. And it's a simple request. So save me, I pray from the hand of my brother Esau for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children he's confessing he's afraid he needs God's help he's saying save me save me from physical harm save the mothers and the children from physical harm and he finishes the way he started by again appealing to God's promise and faithfulness but you have said I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted well when he finishes, he goes straight back into action gear he 's come up with another plan uh, this time he actually selects a, a gift for his brother of a whole load of, of cattle and, and goats and sheep, uh, etc, male and female. And he tells the servants to each split up and take a bunch of these um, uh, these belongings, these gifts for, for Esau. And each time one of them meets Esau, they're to say the same thing. They're to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. And he's coming behind us. This is Jacob employing um, a bit of an early day marketing tactic, isn't it? You know repeat the message enough times and hopefully it will get through subconsciously that Jacob is coming in peace. And so maybe he'll believe it. But one of the lessons from this episode for us, I think is to ask ourselves, what is our first response to a difficult situation? Is it fear and panic? Is it trying to come up with our own solution? Or is it seeking God's help and God's protection? How often do we trust more in doing something ourselves than praying? Yes, of course, we know we need to pray, but is that prayer more like asking God to to rubber-stand what we've already decided we're going to do? Or is it coming in weakness and asking him for strength and wisdom? Maybe we start praying because we, we know we should, but we just want to get that over quickly because we want to get down with doing something and planning our next course of action. If we're putting more trust in our plans... And God, He will humble us like He did Jacob. Not to punish us, but to enable us to see that God's plans are so much better than ours. His strength is so much stronger than ours. Think of some of the decisions you have made recently. Maybe some of the difficult decisions you have faced. How much time did you spend praying over that? How much time did you spend worrying? or coming up with your own clever plans. Of course, that doesn't mean we just sit back and wait for something to happen. We pray for wisdom, and we pray that God will enable us to step out in faith, give us the confirmation that we're doing the right thing, and if not, to close that door, get us back on our knees praying for God's guidance. The big lesson that Jacob still needed to learn So I missed those ones. Is God wants us to surrender control so he can bless us. Look at verse 22. It says, That night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And the end result was Jacob was left alone. It's almost like he knows he needs to be alone with God for him to deal with him. And notice who it is who takes the initiative here, though. It's not Jacob wrestling with God, it's actually God wrestling with Jacob. Verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for his daybreak. Well, who is this man? In Hosea, we write, um, uh, Hosea, writing of Jacob, he wrote, in the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel. And here it says in verse 28, "You have struggled with God." Jacob says, "I saw God face to face." Jacob is wrestling with God. But what is going on in this wrestling match? What does it mean that the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob? Surely, if he's God, he can do anything. But what was God's subjective? It was to make Jacob submit to him, to surrender all to him. That's what you do in wrestling, matches, isn't it? You you get your opponent to cry out, I submit to you. And Jacob refused to do so. He was struggling to retain control of his life. He didn't want to give up everything to God. And so what does God do? It says he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled With the man. God has infinite reserves of power. All he needs to do is just touch Jacob. And he lames him for life. If Jacob's not going to give up willingly, God will have to do it the hard way for for his benefit. And having done that, he says to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This this is something that's different from the wrestling match. The wrestling match was about who is in control. Jacob now knows he cannot be in control. He's been lamed, and so he, he calls out for God's blessing. He knows the only way he's going to be blessed is through God blessing him. Before he tried to do it all in his own strength, now his strength is gone. He acknowledges he needs God. In the words of Hosea, Jacob wept and begged for God's favour. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Remember the meaning of Jacob, grasper, deceiver, one who wants to be in control? And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Overcome is a, a strange description for someone who's been, become a cripple, but um, someone who's going to experience pain and be reminded of his weakness for the rest of their life. But Israel means God strives. Jacob is no longer trying to strive on his own. God is striving for him. And Israel will become the name of the nation for which God will strive but a nation which will also at times reject God's help or Jacob in return asks please tell me your name but he replied why do you ask my name Then he blessed him there he wasn't to be told her to his name but the fact that he'd been given a new name was proof that he struggled with God himself And so verse thirty, Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. Jacob knew that to look on the the face of God is to put yourself in extreme danger. As God said to Moses, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And so to be still alive was an amazing thing in itself. So what does the morning after the night of struggle bring? Verse 31, we're the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. The sun rising is like the dawn of a new era. Jacob's lifetime struggle to be in control has now come to an end. As a changed man, he can now meet Esau without fear. And we'll see more of that next week in in our final episode of the series. The limping is not the curse it might at first appear. It's a, it's a blessing. It reminds him that he's met with God. And that God is blessing him. God is in control of his life. God chose to wrestle with him until he surrendered control over his life. And he was then able to bless him fully. Jacob had been fighting with, with different people for 20 years. But what he didn't realize that his battles were not with, with Esau with Laban, but with God. It's taken 20 years to change him, but God's timing is always perfect. Which leaves us with a few questions for ourselves to to apply this to us. First of all, if you're someone here this morning who is not yet a Christian, let me ask you, what is holding you back? Is it that you trust more in your own ability to control your life? That you think you don't really need God? Or if that is the case, you know, he will let you carry on living your life your way. But you need to be prepared for that day when you face him face to face on the day of judgment. And you have to tell him that you didn't think you needed him in your life. Is it that you are afraid of giving up control of your life because you maybe don't really believe that the blessings that God wants to give you will be the, better than the happiness that you can get for yourself becoming a Christian is getting to that point where we acknowledge that we, we can't do everything in our own strength but actually we don't need to because God has strived for us on the, on the cross Jesus gave up his life for us so we don't need to keep on striving We don't need to be strong ourselves. We don't need to make ourselves good enough for God. If you are a Christian here this morning, is there an area of your life that you're not willing to surrender to God? That you want to just keep control over? A bit like Ken Costa was saying at the moment, I'll give you 51%. Maybe I'll give you 90%. But I just want to keep control of this little 10% here. For 20 years, Jacob was living this life of knowing God, yet not knowing him fully. He'd had a glimpse of God. he tasted of his goodness. He knew God was blessing him. He knew God was protecting him. And yet he hadn't surrendered all to God. He was trying to keep control over some areas of his life. He thought he could do it in his own strength. He may be thinking, well, how do I know whether I've surrendered all to God? Well, let me ask you this question. How does the time you spend making plans compare with the time you spend in prayer? Jesus was fully God. He knew what he'd come to do. He knew the mission. He knew the plans. Yeah, think of all the time he spent in prayer with his father when he was on earth. This is a challenge for us as individuals um, and also for us as a church. The future growth of God's church in this place is not about us coming up with the right plan, the right strategy. It's about us falling on our knees and pleading for the lost, pleading for God's mercy. But ask yourself another question. Do you find your greatest joy in the things God gives you or in God himself? is as we submit to God as we surrender all and enjoy God himself as we trust in him more that all those fears those worries those frustrations begin to disappear because we've found the most valuable person we can find the most valuable thing that there is to find in this life let me finish with these words from the passage from Philippians we're going to be looking at this evening Uh, if you want to know more come back this evening and we'll look at this in more detail. These are the words of Paul, the Apostle. He said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Amen. Let's have a moment um to bring those questions back. Um, if we just have those questions up on the screen. Uh, Just look at those questions. um, What is God saying to you? Call out to him for his help. If there's an area of your life you need to surrender him, ask for his strength to do that. And enjoy his blessings. A moment of quiet, then I'll pray. Father God, as we think of that encounter that Jacob had with you, We pray that we too will have an encounter with you. We thank you that we can do that through Jesus. He has opened that way to you. He is the stairway to heaven. Thank you that don't we, we don't need to keep striving in our own strength. We don't need to keep worrying and becoming anxious. We don't need to keep coming up with our own plans. We need to come to you and seek your help, your strength, your wisdom and your blessings. Thank you that you want to pour out your blessings on us, Lord. So Lord, protect us where we may feel that we can do that in our strength, where we may feel that we can create our own happiness. Show us that in you, there is full joy. There is full blessing. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Amen. Do please stay for refreshments, but um, maybe before going through, maybe spend some more time praying, or if you want to pray with the person next to you, um, do use this this time before you go and grab your your cup of coffee. Um, Let's um, close now with a a great promise.